Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. I am Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. And I'm arts and culture writer, Ashley Steves. As always, make sure that you're on our Patreon for Broadway Radio. That's patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. And today we have a very special show for you. Yeah. Lucky you. Uh, we are going to touch on <laughs> some like daily Broadway news that Ashley and I are going to rail on. And uh, then we have a special interview with Ollie Jones. Matt and I talk about our experience with the immersive theatrical game Plymouth Point. Ooh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh. Ashley, should we just get into this? Let's just get into it. We all know what we're going to talk about. So let's just get on it. All right. So I apologize ahead of time because what I'm about to read is extremely exhaustive. But here we go. Many have called upon equity to place Rudin on its do not work list. We've talked about this on the show all week long. And I think you and Matt even touched on it on Sunday or Monday that like, the do not work list thing for Scott Rudin is part of the March on Broadway that's happening today, quote unquote, Thursday. Um, so here's uh, basically essentially barring the union members from employment in his productions. The full statement as sent to equity members earlier Wednesday read like this and it's, it's long, so hold on. Uh, perhaps you saw over the weekend the announcement that Scott Rudin is stepping back from his Broadway productions. We immediately reached out to our sibling unions about making a joint statement and to the Broadway League itself to ask whether the Broadway League planned to take action. Some of you have asked whether Scott Rudin can be put on a do not work list. The short answer is no. He is a producing member of the Broadway League, and as such, he has agreed to abide by equity's collective bargaining agreements. The and this is, by the way, I've I've cut a lot of what's in here. Um, so the full we'll, we're including in the show notes, like the the link to read the entire statement. I just want to say that first. Um, Equity generally utilizes the do not work list as a tool to alert members like you about the status of non-union productions, unless or until his status as a Broadway League producer changes, we will focus on making sure that his productions follow the language in our collective bargaining agreements, which including which includes maintaining a safe workplace. We can and will take action if you call and report bullying, discrimination, or safety issues with any workplace. You can use our anonymous hotline. We've talked about the anonymous hotline before and how there's really no repercussion when you call the hotline. I just want to say that. With that in mind, after the news broke this weekend on Saturday, we publicly called on Scott Rudin to release his employees from any non-disclosure agreements they may have signed. You should know that we have new tools to hold Broadway producers accountable if they engage in bullying. In our most recent bargaining with the Broadway League, we negotiated additional language into the production contract on bullying and discrimination. That's good news. Some key points are they cannot legally strike any Broadway League members show Therefore, the do not work list is off limits for league members during their contract, and that contract is legally binding and still in effect until September 2022. And yes, the labor laws mm. in our country are way past, you know, due for a, a look over. Yeah, but yeah. this is why this statement from AEA is actually probably the best we could hope for. It sucks ass, but they're right. right. They can't. They can't do the do not work list because of their agreements, right. because of these contracts. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And as you said, this is probably the best we can hope for, which is the bar is so low, it's in hell. <laughs> I just, I, I, I can't even, 
approach this without anger. What was really, there was something in the statement that was along mm-hmm. the lines where they said that they looked over their own records in the article. None of the piece, people in the piece that were referenced were equity members on equity contracts. And mm-hmm. to that, it just made it sound like, well, these aren't our people. So there's nothing we can do about it anyway. Cause that's essentially saying, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone is calling on the league. Like the only thing that can happen right now is if the league drops Scott Rudin from As production contracts. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, as you said, is he's bound to September mm-hmm. 2022. So that's the only thing that happened. Equi- Actors' equity can't do anything until that happens. So we're relying on the league to do something, which is n- yeah. never going to happen. Because what has the league done any time in the past year? And what has the league done in, in forms of abuse of any kind in the past year? Um or responding to any kind of allegations of abuse or racism or anything in the past year, nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not, <laughs> like we're waiting yeah. for an organization that has been explicitly silent over anything against it since the pandemic, because it's, you know, there's no one on stages. So it seems like they've kind of taken a, well, it's not happening if it's not happening kind of thing. And that's just, it's, it's endlessly frustrating. This is the way that it's set up. Like, you have actors equity who's supposed to be yeah. protecting its workers and is act- asking for dues right now, which is <laughs> the cause of why everyone's going to be marching mm-hmm. today because they're not protecting their workers and they're still asking for money. And you have the Broadway League, which is completely silent mm-hmm. and is the only one that can do anything right now. It's yeah. infuriating. Because, I mean, it it is money. Like, we can't not acknowledge sure. that. Like, the, all of this is about money. So, yes, we're going to continue. The prime <laughs> issue that Broadway is run from, like, the money of five different people. One of them right. is Scott Rudin. Exactly. So, we just, we have to hope that there's going to continue to be accountability. And I, and I do appreciate this call out. There was some acknowledgement of accountability, I will say, um, mm. talking about like who they're going to work with um, and how they've built that kind of wording about bullying into their contracts. I don't think that's ever been done before. Um, so I, I, yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to keep on it. We're going to keep looking out for any updates yeah. on yeah. any of these issues because we do care a lot about these victims and um, we just want to make sure that Broadway is a safe place to work. That's all we want. So now we're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsor upstart when it comes to paying off debt. I, I am, a per- honestly, I am in this uphill battle. Oh, like, I too. dread looking at my credit card statement. Like, isn't it hell? It's like, I don't want to look at this. Like, I don't want to look at the app, you it's know? It's nausea inducing. <laughs> exactly. But Upstart can lift that weight off of your shoulders. So you can finally feel the relief of being free from credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Super easy in that way. Whether it's paying off credit cards, high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. And unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than your credit score, which I hate so, so much. I hate credit scores. I will shout it from the mountaintops how much I hate credit scores. So they'll look at your income and employment history. And that means you can see smarter rates from trusted partners with just a five minute online rate check to see if you qualify. Uh, those loans range from $1,000 to $50,000 and you receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. That's pretty fast, I have to say. 
Yeah. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. That's upstart.com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstartupstart.com slash Broadway. All right, we're going to give you one more Scott Rudin story, if you can stomach it. Oh, Ashley never, and I are but let's do it. <laughs> I know, I know. I saw your tweet, and I was like, ah, we're going to talk about this. <sighs> so Hugh Jackman came out with an all-caps, kind of unhinged statement about his involvement That's in very the very unhinged. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe oh, this, actually. Yeah, it's a little shots at cloud feeling, yeah. Here we go. But I, I did I did lower the caps for, for this statement because Thank I couldn't you. read it that way. Um, I want to say how much I respect and applaud the people that have spoken up about their experience working with Scott Rudin. It takes an enormous amount of courage and strength to stand up and state your truth. This has started a conversation that is long overdue, not just on Broadway and the entertainment industry, but across all workforce. Okay. Uh, the most important voice we <laughs> needed to hear from was Scott Rudin. I'll get to that. He, don't worry. <laughs> I know. He has now spoken up and stepped away from the music man. I hope and pray this is a journey of healing for all the victims and the community. We are currently rebuilding the music man team and are aspiring to create an environment that is not only safe, but ensures that everyone is seen, heard, and valued. This is something that is and has always been very important to me. So I know you've got thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some definite, like, <laughs> I maybe would not have said the most important voice dot, dot, dot statement, because I don't know, the most important voices are his, are the victims of all of this. And I just, yeah. Okay. I'm going to let you, you, yes, you have thoughts, <laughs> Ashley. I just, so besides what I was going to say when you, uh, when I interjected before is that besides the spelling errors and comma splices and whatever else in this absolute unhinged, as you said, mess of a statement, there's really no content here. The only thing that we really got from this is, you know, the, we are currently rebuilding the Music Man team, which what I don't know what that means. No one knows what that means yet. I'm sure we'll find out in the coming days. I, as I tweeted, I can't imagine <laughs> earnestly ever calling Scott Rudin the most important voice that we need to hear from, especially yeah. when we're talking about abuse. This man has talked for decades. As, again, there have been stories about his abuse for decades. Yeah. He has claimed he grew up 11 years ago. He's already responded to these claims of abuse. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how you can make that much more clear than the fact that this man already said a decade mm-hmm. ago that he's not doing any of this anymore. He's grown up. He's a better person. He's learned from his mistakes. Not the case. <laughs> so what are we saying? And what is Hugh Jackman saying? If not that, absolutely nothing. Now, again, I'm really, I'm trying to be conscious about not putting the onus on the actors to respond. And as Matt and I have said, and as you and I have said many times, there's a certain level, you know, when we're looking at Broadway performers versus someone like Hugh Jackman, who is an international star and kind of what the expectations are with that. People are going to, to me, it comes down to people are going to flock to see Hugh Jackman in The Music Man or in whatever show he's in, no matter what happens, because he's Hugh Jackman and people know him. They don't have to be theater fans to see him. 
So I think that's why he has this responsibility. I mean, you could put big theater names mm-hmm. as in top billing, sh- at top billing and top billing shows, and people are not going to have the same reaction in that way, and they can speak out all day. But yeah, it's I mean, not going it to have the same. Bigger. Yeah, it's not going to have the same gravitas. Right, and and I like in reading the statement. Yes, we we definitely see some like okay, well that could have been better. Um, and also yeah, all the <laughs> the comments by it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, but I also like I if if what we want is Scott Rudin stepping away, cool. He acknowledged it. Then he also acknowledged the voices of the victims. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, but I I just wonder like what could we what could we have asked for better from Hugh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, in I know this- I, I absolutely get that. Um, and that's that's the tricky line to walk right now. And I don't really yeah. think anyone has the answer to that because I think everything is so vague right now. And, you know, it, it is completely on Scott Rudin. Is, exactly. Know, <laughs> is, the, the real root of all of this is someone who has abused so many artists mm-hmm. and people that have wanted to work in this industry. And so. I, I want to acknowledge people that use their platform that they say, hey, these victims, like they need to be heard. And I don't want to work with that guy. Yeah. And then also, what do we do going forward to make sure that we don't uh, create workplaces that don't honor the people that need to be honored? That's the big thing for me right now is yeah. we keep talking about Scott Rudin stepping away from theater and mm-hmm. film and TV and the projects he's working on. He's still on them. Because mm-hmm. they're his productions. So what does stepping away mean other than being behind the scenes and still cashing the checks? Mm-hmm. Like, it, for statements, I think that's why I'm most annoyed about this statement is yeah. that it's essentially saying, we've heard from Scott Rudin. He said he's stepping away. What else do you want? Like, that's the way it reads to me, whether that's the way it's intended or not. And it's also got that vague, I hope and pray this is a journey of healing yeah. language, uh-huh. which is basically just thoughts and prayers. And it's like, so what are we going to do next? What is Scott Rudin doing? Ne- Again, as I said the other day, what is Scott Rudin doing to repair relationships, to provide any kind of reparations and healing for people that he's abused, to actually step back from projects and to step back from what is essentially ownership of the theater industry. Again, he's like one yeah. of six people funding theater. So how are people going to feel comfortable on stages going forward if he is one of the major producers that is funding the way that Broadway looks? I just don't buy it. Yeah. And I think that the conversations that we all have to have going forward are saying, what do we want? Because – yeah. I, we don't, we, we want to, we want to burn the old system to the ground in a way, yes. but we also like want to make sure that everyone that wants to work in, in a new, better system has a system like, yes. or that we have like some kind of home to go back to because all of my artist friends and I know you and I included, like we want to get back, but we want mm-hmm. it to be right. We want, we want what we return to, to be a new wave of like, how are we funding artists? How are we taking care of BIPOC people? Exactly. How are we making sure that we don't have workplace abuse? So, 
yeah, whatever we can do to go forward, those are the conversations we want to keep having. And that's that's where we're at. That's it. Yeah. There you go. All right. So thank you so much for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. Don't forget about our Patreon for Broadway Radio for lots of exclusive goodies. And like, you get to listen to the news before anybody else. That's the way to go. Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. You can find me all the time on Twitter and Instagram at It's Grace Aki. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me some of the time on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> no, this is Ashley. All right. That's been the news for the day. Thank you so much, Ashley. And now uh, stay tuned for an interview with me and Matt where we talk to Ollie Jones for Plymouth Point. Well, Ollie, one of the things as I was kind of reading up on Swamp Motel that I'm most interested in is that as we've seen uh, over the past year or so, um, you've done a bunch of online interactive things, but that's not what Swamp Motel was originally created for. It was created to do these immersive events, but in person. Can you first tell us what the original intention of the company was and then how you uh, kind of adapted that when everybody had to uh, be locked down at home? Yeah, absolutely. So the original intention of the company was to make um, large-scale events, um, often with a brand attached. So me and Clem, the co- my co-founder, we've been working in theatre for the past 10, 11 years. Um, and we started this company because we thought, oh, there's a lot of theatrical expertise we could lend to the brand world. So we started doing that. And the aim was always that we'd hopefully form a company that could become profitable and use that money to create our own live experience. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of on the way to doing that um, after you know two and a half years of work on it um, when the pandemic hit and all our work got cancelled. Oh. And we found ourselves looking at a very worrying year, not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, and we had this kind of Hail Mary shot where we were like, well, look, we can't do anything live. We can't do anything in a warehouse. Why don't we try showing people that we could do something online, that we could do an immersive experience that happens through Zoom because we're not going back into a venue anytime soon. And maybe this will show them that such a thing is possible. So Plymouth Point started off as kind of... um an experiment, really. It was, only, it was only supposed to run for three weeks when we first started it, and that was in well, a year ago, pretty much, yeah. a year ago next week. And now that uh, is slowly, but hopefully surely, knock on wood, um, things are starting to open back up so that people can um, uh, congregate together. How do you see what Swamp Motel has done and learned over the past year um, impacting the future of the company? Do you expect to just pivot back to the original intention or will moving forward you be working on both the online and in-person sides of of what you've created over the past few years i think we're going to be doing a bit of both um we've definitely got a hunger to get back to live um is kind of where we came from and what we want to get back to and where you can do a lot of amazing things but we've learned through doing plymouth point um and then the follow-on stories the mermaid's tongue and the kindling hour that there is also so much cool stuff that can be done when you place the audience at the center of the story and you kind of put the impetus on moving it forward with them. I think one of the things about the online experiences that's so great is that the story happens to you. And if you don't investigate a lead or like look up a password or read through an email, the story doesn't advance. You're made much, you're given much more agency and you're given much more impetus and automation to yourself. Um, and I think there'll be elements of that that we'll try and put into our live work. So, you know, you could, you could be in a live event, whatever that may be, but within that live event, 
there's a lot you can influence and there's a lot of the um, outside world you can bring into it too. Um, in, in Plymouth Point, a lot of the story is obviously fictional, but we've tried to make it feel real and feel immersive and feel like it's actually happening by linking in a lot of real world events and real world places and real world people. Um, and I think we've learned that can add a really exciting layer to the immersion and to feeling part of a bigger story. So Literally. I think, I think, go on, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say my group was like, wait a second. Are we talking about Brexit right now? <laughs> we were like, oh my gosh, these are all like very real things. Like it just felt, it made it feel so much more uh, like it was happening. Like we were involved in the story. And yes, it did not advance until we got our stuff together. So um, yeah. I really enjoyed that element of it. And, and I'm glad that you said that because it's like, how do you keep people into a game that you know, is is theatrical in a way, but also very grounded. So I just want to say like, that was so much fun. And um, yeah, I hope that that can still be executed uh, in person, which I have no doubt because this is, that's your background. So thanks. Yeah, no, that's, that's great to hear. I mean, we've, we've done stuff in the past where the audience enter a room and something happens and then an actor comes out and grabs them by the hand and leads them to the next room and then tells them what they have to do. Um, But because everyone is so at home on the internet and everyone knows how it works. We didn't need any of that. We just had to lay enough breadcrumbs for people to get the hint of what was required of them. And then the story is is all powered by them. I, I have to admit, I did need some coaching by whoever <laughs> was on the other side of the Zoom when I couldn't figure out how to properly uh, use one of the clues, which I won't dis- discuss here because I don't want to spoil anything. But there was one time where I was just a complete idiot and couldn't figure out how it worked. So I did appreciate that there was somebody at least following, following along, whether it was automated or real uh, to tell me that I was being a big dummy. Cause I couldn't, uh, cause I couldn't move on to the next thing. So I did appreciate that as well. I don't mind the hand holding at times. No, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we know how, it, how important it is to have, um, to have stage managers backstage who kind of like they inhabit characters within the game and and talks people because as much as it's great that you've got the whole internet to explore and to find the answer to whatever you're looking for the downside of that is you have the whole internet to explore and so it's very easy to you know pick up on the wrong name in the sentence and then spend 25 minutes looking up someone who's connected to the story but not going to get you any further in the in the one we're telling so yeah we do need to make sure people are slightly kept on the rails yeah, yeah. Oh, I appreciate it very much, very much. Um, what I think is so interesting about Plymouth Point is that it, it plays so well into a lot of the things that are happening. It, it Obviously, you you all are, are UK-based. We're both in the US. But it feels like a lot of the threads that are in uh, at the heart of Plymouth Point, whether it's the kind of the political thriller, the conspiracy theories, the corporate espionage type stuff, they feel felt really grounded in reality like you mentioned was was that always the the um the focus of what you were trying to work on and create this was there a it was that at the at the heart of trying to create something that felt like it was just you you know getting caught up in this zoom thing or or where did the impetus to kind of make it feel um as if it actually could be happening come from i think it was kind of bred from the fact that Joining a video call with a stranger who asks you to do something is a very involving thing to do. And so then we were looking at opportunities to continue to make it feel like it's actually happening. Um, the character who, who joins you on the call is this woman called Kath. And we have this trick where like, as, as she talks to you, she kind of establishes that it's a bit of a one-way connection. Yeah. Which is, was such a useful tool for us. You know, she basically says, I, I can see you. I, I can't hear you. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, this is what I wanted to tell you. 
And you kind of buy in that there could well be someone at the other end of the phone, but they just have a bad connection. And that's why your, your voice isn't coming through to them. But they've acknowledged you, so they, they clearly know you're there. And then off the back of that, you know, you start, you start building some fictional websites, but then you realize that you can counterbalance that by bringing real world stuff into it. And as we, and as we had the internet to explore in different places to look for clues and passwords and bits of history and information, there's obviously millions and millions and millions of places you can look for that pre-exist and are based in real things. And we just slowly came to the realization that there are real people throughout history. There are real practices, there are real conspiracy theories that we could tie into the game. And then if you thought, hang on, this feels a bit far-fetched to me, let me plug this conspiracy theory into Google, you'd have 37 million Google hits because it's yeah. real. And then you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Okay, so maybe maybe this is based on something real. And then there's other parts throughout the story that kind of build on that. And we were we were looking for interesting bits of history and interesting stories and interesting conspiracy theories and interesting bits of myth that we could tie in and, and make the whole experience feel more real. Yeah, and so I going from Plymouth Point again that Grace and I have both done to the Mermaid's Tongue and the Kindling Hour without going into necessarily any of these spoiler type things. There, how did you evolve what you learned from Plymouth Point into telling these two um, different stories? But I love how in the descriptions for all of them, they all start as an immersive theatrical thriller made for the internet, which is 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 a perfect description of Plymouth Point. But how did you evolve that storytelling for the next two um for the next two stories that you were working on? Well, one one thing we kept the same was the story world. So it's it's a trilogy. It goes from from beginning to end, but actually you can play them in any order and Great. they're all standalone. But if you do all three, you'll notice crossover characters, crossover storylines, and you'll you'll get a bit more narratively from it. And then in terms of getting more out of it, we um, we kind of hit all the big hitters in Plymouth Point. So we hit YouTube, we hit Facebook, we hit emails. And then when it came to doing the second and third ones, we we obviously didn't want to repeat ourselves. So we had to start thinking of thinking of and, and workshopping different um, interactive elements on the internet and ways you could bring them in. And it kind of became this like circular process of thinking, oh, hang on, we haven't we haven't um, spoken to anyone on the phone in the first game. Maybe there's a way that we could bring um, a phone call into it. And then you'd see how that works and see where that fits into the story. And equally, narratively, you'd start to to go back to my previous point about real life stuff. You'd, you'd think of things that would that would make the story work. And then you'd start digging and see if you could find anything in the real world that would back it up and could make it feel like it was actually happening. But no, ultimately, it was just like this, this process of toying around with different tricks we can use um, and different places we could visit and different ways of accessing different areas. You know, in, in the mermaid's tongue, there's a CCTV hack. You get you get into these cameras. You, we've we've worked with some organizations um, who. I mean, I don't want to give the name away because I'll give away a clue. But yeah, yeah, this is that we've worked with before that that have allowed us to host characters on their actual websites. So you know, there's fictional characters, but they're they're amongst the faculty of of a certain university here. <laughs> so when you when you do track down this person who you're told throughout the game is is a professor, you do find them on a genuine university page in a genuine department. Um, so it was all about fusing those little bits of fiction and reality together and and trying not to repeat anything that we've done before. I have to say, like, the part where we were, and I hope this is not giving anything away. I don't think it is. Uh, but there is a part of the game where we were looking for, uh, like, a goose or a duck 
um, or some, <laughs> something outside of a very cute uh, bed and breakfast. And I have to say, like, it made me want to go. So darling, like I would, I mean, I would like to solve this case, but also I would like to have like a brunch at this spot. So, um, it, I, I was excited to see these were very real places. <laughs> it was yeah, so they're real places. And we've, um, that's a, yeah, that's a pub in, I know the town you're talking about. And <laughs> I mean, that, we've never spoken to them. We, um, <laughs> we, cause we initially did it on this small scale run and now they must've had, I mean, tens of thousands of people have played Plymouth yeah. Point and have, and have, you know, inspected their website and uh, history and menu at great length. So I'm ho- I hope they got something out of it because the, uh, <laughs> the hotel industry has been equally hard here over the past year. Yeah. Well, uh, we've talked about the three events that you're currently running, Plymouth Point, the Mermaid's Tongue, and the Kindling Hour. But one of the other things that I know that is currently ongoing, at least for another month, three weeks or a month, is Room 21, which you're basically inviting um, artists to submit ideas or stories for Swamp Motel to develop into a future um event is can you give us a little bit more of the details about what this project is and why you decided to open it up to writers and artists from outside of your normal sphere to uh hopefully get some new creative ideas well i think um collaborating with new people is always exciting and you never know who you're going to meet and what ideas they're going to have and 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 where that will lead and what exciting stories you'll tell um and then on top of this was the fact that it's just been an awful year for anyone who works in live theatre or live entertainment um, in any capacity, really, whether front stage or backstage. And we found ourselves in a position to kind of hopefully help people out and give give someone an opportunity to develop something. Um, we've we've carved out a bit of a niche and like something of fledgling expertise in in doing these online experiences and we thought like it's been such a badly hit year it would be just a hopefully a, a nice and <clears throat> exciting thing to develop um a show with someone from outside the company and to and to you know open up these opportunities and then see what comes of it so yeah it's uh it's, a, it's essentially a writer's residency. It, applications are open at the moment, and we've asked people to let us know whether, let us know um, if they've got an idea they think would work well as an online experience. Tell us, tell us what it is. Tell us why they think it will work, and then we'll have um, we'll have an application process, and we'll go through, and and eventually we'll we'll choose a writer that we we can work with, and then there's um, we'll develop a, we'll develop the show alongside them, and hopefully if we if we get to it, we can ultimately produce it into a fully fledged live show. On its own. Yeah, and applications are on your the application process is all on your website and the deadline is May fourteenth uh, of this year. So just yeah. just under I guess three ish, three and a half weeks that uh, that people have to submit those. So um so that's fantastic. Other than this potential um, project, what's next for Swamp Motel? Have you started thinking about things back in the real world? Or are you still focused online? Or are you kind of just maintaining what's what you've already have going on right now? What's what does the the immediate future look like? It's a bit of everything, really. Um, we are we are going to continue to market um, the the Plymouth Point. Um, mermaid's tongue and and kindling our experiences um we're working on other digital things for later in the year and we do have an eye on summer um so we've started we're we're kind of early stage development for a live experience in summer which i can't really say too much about yet because we're not sure sure sure. 
we don't know. We don't know too much about it. But yeah, it feels like the appetite's going to be there. People are going to want to get out of the houses and try something new. And we've got an idea that we think people will enjoy. So we're kind of putting that together at the moment. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be a mix, it's gonna be a mix of live stuff and digital stuff and things that kind of sit between the two. Well, I mean, like as we've seen this year, like it's it's just so it's so refreshing to like have some theatrical outlet online. Like we've seen so many different streaming things, and also like I've had game nights. I was never a gamer, like I was never into it, but that's how we've been able to like see our friends and like you know work together as a team and and do all that stuff. So like I don't see that going away. I think that a lot of people don't live uh, in proximity to their loved ones all the time, so doing. Things like this, I think, through the pandemic has made people go like, oh, this is something I could do like once a month. Like I could I could have some kind of fun game night and doing like things like Plymouth Point is just like a perfect way to be like, OK, we can't all go to the movies, but we can all do this. You know what I mean? And yeah, so for sure. Keeps people in it. So I love the idea that you're going to continue to do immersive online and in person. Definitely. And and I think I think with the, the, the three experiences, there's um you know, they've been a really useful vehicle for people to spend time with with people that they can't see over lockdown. But equally, I feel very strongly that you can have just enough time with everyone in the same room, just with the one laptop rather than all at other ends of the Zoom call. The experience should still be the same. If anything, it might be better. It might be even more even more frantic with you all together, working together in, in person. Yeah. Early on, I asked what you've learned for Swamp Motel from doing these online experiences. But in a more general sense, what do you think the theater community needs to have learned from going through this year when all they've been able to do is online? Is there any important takeaways that they can learn from this past, it's more than a year at this point, but the past 13 months or so that they can hopefully implement in uh, in in the coming months and years to make the experience better for um, for both the audience and the creators as well. I think one thing that's that's come as a result of doing the online shows that's been really good has been accessibility in two senses. I mean that in terms of people who are less able bodied um, and you know can't get to the theatre as easily. Um, they can they can have these experiences which we feel are theatrical and we feel are immersive um, definitely at home um, and then there's also the the costs like the theatre especially in the West End can be prohibitively expensive um, and you know we've we've often joked that like working in the theatre world means you can never afford to go because it's not <laughs> it's not it's not the most handsomely paid profession and it yeah. does cost an absolute fortune to go and see one of the big shows. And I, I think what what we've managed to do is provide something kind of uh, enthralling and captivating and unique that can be done for you know kind of less than the price of a cinema ticket, really, which which we feel like is a is a good return. And I think um, I think that's something that should that should be continued. I think it's you know it's an art form that is tends to be very kind of liberal-minded and open-minded and open to everyone, but due to just the economic model behind putting on a live show, it yeah. becomes it's incredibly expensive to produce and therefore it's really, really expensive to attend. Um, and I think I think there's a kind of digital middle ground where people can meet and and you know shave off costs on both sides to provide experiences that aren't London centric, that aren't really expensive, that don't, you know, cost a fortune just to get to. Um, you know, taking a, a, a taking a family from the north of England to London to the West End to see a show is, 
you know you could you could probably afford a weekend abroad for the same price yeah. so i think um i think there's there's that to consider for sure i think there's a way to make the whole world of theater more accessible digitally and I'll let you go on this question. We're talking about all of the online stuff that people have gone through this year. Besides the three Swamp Motel experiences that you obviously are incredibly partial to, has there been anything that you've really enjoyed um, consuming from a theatrical standpoint that's been online uh, over the past year? There's well, this is a this is a tricky um, answer because <laughs> I haven't done it yet. But we're booked in for um, something called Jury Games. Um, later on this week as a company, which we're really excited about. Um, cool. We've read a lot of great things about it. Um, you kind of, you take on the role of a jury um, investigating a case and you have to kind of come to your own conclusion about it. That's been really good. Um, there's, there, there's been a surprising amount of, of online things have sprung up. Actually. The other thing I'm really excited about is um, the national theaters, Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. They were they were meant to do a stage version of it, but obviously all got shut down because of COVID. So they completely reimagined it as an hour and a half film using the National Theatre as the set. And that's that's meant to be fantastic as well. Let me tell you, it, it ends sadly. I don't mean to spoil <laughs> it, but it's upsetting. Yeah, it's not famous. It's not famed for its happy ending. No. I'm, I know I know that going in. Good. Okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually that actually is going to be broadcast here on public television in the U.S. as well. So very much looking forward to that one. Yeah, it should be cool. Well, Ollie, thank you so much for uh, not only chatting with us, but for working on these projects. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm somebody who loves a good mystery, so I uh, really got a kick out of Plymouth Point. And I'm looking forward to doing the other ones, and uh, I'm really excited to see what Swamp Motel comes up with next. Thanks, guys. I've enjoyed talking to you both. Thank you.